Ministry Mentorship, Episode 5. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministries. In this episode, we're going to be talking with the First Lady of the United Pentecostal Church International. Sister Connie Bernard is a wonderful woman of God who is passionate about developing people in their ministries. Let's join the conversation now. We're here with Sister Connie Bernard, and she is the wife of David K. Bernard. Uh, she's the mother of Daniel, Jonathan, and Lindsay. Her sons are both married, and uh, her son Jonathan has three children. She is a graduate of Jackson College of Ministries, and her and her husband were elected to the General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church in 2009. Uh, Sister Bernard, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I consider it an honor that you would ask me. Now, did you ever think that you would be the wife of a general superintendent? Uh, I probably could say no and yes. At the very beginning, I was raised in a very godly home, but we were more centered around our local church, uh, maybe one or two sectional events. Um, But other than that, at that point, no. Once I married Brother Bernard, saw how involved he was in the ministry, and that's, of course, what I wanted to do. But that thought process evolved over the years of our marriage that that would be a possibility. Now, I know your husband has had you come out and sing before he preaches. Uh, do, you ever, do you ever get nervous? I mean, what are you feeling when, when that takes place? Oh, my goodness. I'm a very outgoing person when it comes to relationships. Um, connecting with people, that I would probably say is one of my fortes, one of my specialties. But when I am put up in front of a crowd, I get very, very nervous. I tell people all the time now that even even at my age, I'm 51, I still get nervous in front of people. So at first, um, it was very, very nerve-wracking. But I think the more I have done it and um, the more I'm out in the public, and I think of a lot of it is a God thing because I have such a burden for people and such a burden for the ministry that the fear and the nervousness that I feel is overridden by the burden that I have. So I've come to the point where I'm still nervous physically. Yes, I get very nervous still, but there's such an overriding desire to bless I guess I could say, and to strengthen people. And if I can do that in song or in speaking something into their lives, then that overrides the the fear that I have. So um, it's a little bit of both. Well, I always enjoy hearing your songs and and the old style. Some of those songs are are very impacting. And uh, I know growing up, we grew up on hymns. Now, we do a lot of praise and worship courses and and uh, I think there's still something to be said for some of those older songs. I'm not saying that you, you always do that, but there's uh, yeah. there's some great... I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I love the older songs, and I think I've already put myself in the older category. I did that. <laughs> I had to make that mind switch um, in my mid-40s that I'm no longer young. 
which is fine with me. I think people need to come to grips with where they are in their life and be happy with it and go on because God uses us in every every area of our life. But I love bridging the old and the new. And I told Brother Bernard, and he, you know, he loves when we uplift the name of Jesus. And I've always tried to strive that when I sing it, especially at General Conference, I like to bring in some of the older ones because to me, again, I'm a people pleaser. I love to be around people, and I'm always mindful of my those that I'm singing to. So I know that it's such a span of age, and I love mixing older hymns with even some of the newer songs. But I, I'm okay with singing older hymns. I'm okay to be. So many people have said, you remind me of Sister Urshan in the way that she loved to sing the older songs. And so that, to me, is a very high compliment that someone would connect me with, Sister Urshan. So I thought, well, if I have that connection, then I feel like I'm doing a halfway good job. Absolutely. That's great. I won't break into my Sister Urshan impersonation right now, even though I, I want no, to very badly. No, you could. You <laughs> could. <laughs> well, you know, kind of what we're trying to do with this, with these interviews and with the website is to to connect apostolic leaders with with young ministers uh, for the right. purpose of developing them in their ministry. And a lot of the, the people that we're talking to uh, are, are, are feeling the call of God, feeling the leading of the Spirit in a certain direction. When did you first know that you had a, a call, I guess you would say, or, or when did you first feel the leading of God in your life? Well, I think, you know, in today's, age we are, which I think it's a great thing with, with having more of a highlight or more publicity on women in ministry, which I think is great. But when I was being raised, you just you just got in a church and you worked. Um, I was raised in a family that you worked for God. And so I think when you talk about a call of God on our life, those words weren't really even used when I was growing up as a teenager, even in early 20s when we were married. But I, I kind of see it as purpose and calling, connecting together. I had a purpose. I knew I wanted to work for God. And, of course, I lived for God. And so that was, um, I think that began as having a burden and a purpose to work for God, and that evolved into a calling. Now, I myself do not feel a call to ministry, per se, as to get my license. I don't feel a calling to be a, a, a preacher. I do speak, but it's a different calling. So I guess I would say that first I was aware of that really as a teenager. I I worked in the church from a young age, but as a teenager I started actively working in different areas of the church. And um, you know, my my grandmother started a church and so I had been raised under a female pastor and I guess looking around and working for God in different areas that kind of evolved into, hey, this is something that I could see myself doing, you know, all my life as far as having a calling of God on my life. That basically felt like it was a burden or a purpose in my life to work for God. Now, you you talked a little bit about, about that work, and is there anything specific that you did as a young person uh, even up into your your maybe your early twenties, that you were following that purpose, that direction you felt. Well, I guess the the two big words that come to mind is initiative and servanthood. 
And I do believe, by the top of that, in this day and age, it's almost that we have to be intentional in teaching servanthood. Um, when I was growing up as a teenager in the church, there was no question that I would work for God. If I belonged to this local body of people, I would be a part of that. And how I would be a part of that is to work for God, just put your shoulder to the grind and just work. So that was ingrained in me. And of course, um, you know, the way that I see that I would follow that is that there was no, there was no thought to me not working for God. And so I just, whatever what needed to be done, of course, I was raised in a smaller church, um, and so there was a need there. And I had a wonderful example. My, both my parents worked secular jobs all their life until they retired, but they were also, you know, my dad always was willing to help whenever something was needed at the church, yard work or anything like that. But my mother was more involved, and she ingrained in me the desire and the wonderful blessing of you work for God, he will bless you. It will be rewarding for you. And so I guess, you know, how did I follow that calling? I followed that calling as just putting myself to work for God. And it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a, a, a task or wasn't something that I looked at with um, a negativity, but something that I can do for God and hopefully help people. My mother ingrained in me a love for people. And in following that, and of course, God puts a calling on your life, and how you follow that will, you know, that creates this um, perpetual motion of growing in the calling that God has on your life. But I think a lot of that came by just working for God and having a heart to work for God and being a servant to others, which I don't think we take that for granted in people when they have a heart to work for God and they take initiative to do things. A lot of people, that's not happening today. You know, I think that sometimes we get focused on position and the spotlight, and sometimes we forget that what really, the, the majority of what we do in ministry is behind the scenes. It's something that you don't see. Uh, but most of the time, I know we can. it's easy to get enamored with, we think of people as at general conference or preaching camp meetings or doing, you know, these, what we would consider great things, but it sounds like you're, you're kind of saying that, that working for God in the church, just, just being involved in any way that you can, not necessarily waiting for someone to tell you, but just finding a place to get involved. You're saying that that's a very important part of our life. I, yes. And the scripture that comes to mind is that your gift will make room for itself. You know, God will lift you up if you if you were humbled before Him. And when I think of being humbled before Him, I think of doing the dirty work. You know, Brother Bernard and I started a church in our home. I did everything. He did everything. And there's no position that I would train someone to do if I had not done it myself first. And, you know, it takes, yes, I think if you go with it as having initiative, it's not always easy, but I think if when you are willing to work, that people will see that in you. And believe me, the higher the position, you know, Brother Bernard and I, as far as the church world, which is our life, there is no higher position than what he has right now. 
And, of course, that makes me in the highest female position at this point. Um, and I see that as not uh, – people do look at the limelight and they look at being behind the pulpit. But more than that is a responsibility. You know, I I have a responsibility to the constituents that we are leading. I feel a great burden and a great responsibility, and I have to be accountable to those people, even in my role as the wife of the general superintendent. Um, and everybody, you know, that works around me, I've had a real hard time with not doing a lot of the nitty-gritty work myself when there are people that that's their job to do. So it's been a major shift and adjustment for me to not do a lot of the mundane work and have other people do it. So I think if you start in the ground floor, then God will make room for you and God will open doors for you. But, you know, I had someone here a while back tell me they felt called to um, pastor a very large church. And in my mind, I didn't say anything to this person, but in my mind I'm thinking, okay, well then you go into a city that does not have a church and you start a church and then let's see how big God will grow that church. And so it, it is a matter of taking initiative and being a servant. And to me, even now in this position, I basically feel more of not the limelight about the job, but the more of I am a servant to 45,000 churches. I am a servant to 9,000 ministers here in the U.S. and, you know, overseas. I am a servant to these people, and that's a great responsibility. Now, who would you consider the most influential people in your life, and, and why would you feel that way about them? At this point, I would say probably Brother Bernard is the most influential person because everything I do is in submission under him. And so he's my best friend, and I think that's the way it should be when you're a partner. And we, we work as, yes, I am submissive under him, but he has respected me in a way that we work together as a team and we have a partnership, and he wants to know my opinion. He he gets my input on things, and, and that, in turn, helps me to realize and know that he respects me as I am and who I am, and that my opinion to him is, is is worth something, you know, for an opinion that he values. So I would think at this point, but my mother was a very influential person in my life because, you know, your your parents and those people that are mentors above you, you watch them and not what they say, but how their life plays out. And she was a very instrumental part in my life, my upbringing. Um, but I would say when we started in ministry, um, I had never, I had not been raised in a minister's home, what I call a blue collar. I was a blue collar worker. Um, and so I didn't have the ins and outs of ministry, but I had a confidence that my mother had inbred in me that I could do anything for God. Um, but when we started out, started our ministry, when we were married, a week after we were married, we started at Jackson College of Ministries. Brother Bernard was the dean of students, and he was. Uh, had several classes that he taught there, and I became a full-time student, plus I was also secretary to Brother Og, the vice president there at the college. Um, at that point, Sister Kraft was the pastor there in Jackson, 
and of course, Brother Crack was the president, so I worked closely with her, but she was a mentor to me, and I felt comfortable enough with her because she was very real and very down-to-earth, and I watched her life, and I saw from her the love of people that she had, and that just reinforced what I had been um, trained and taught all my life, and then when we moved back to the state of Texas and started a church here in Austin, Sister Holly was the district superintendent's wife at that time. I did not know her so personal that I could tell you what her favorite color was. But at that time in my life, I was starting a totally different chapter, and I watched her from a distance. And I gleaned and learned from her. Um, And I can't even tell you what it was about her, but Sister Holly was a very influential part of my life. And I don't even realize at that time that she, I mean, she probably doesn't even realize at that time the impact that she made in my life. But I watched women, women of God, neither one of these women were called into a ministry, a, a, a ministerial ministry, but they worked with their husbands. Um, so I had several people that, to me, were very influential in molding me as to who I am today. Now, how did you and Brother Bernard meet, and and tell us a little bit about when you guys first connected? That's an ongoing story that Brother Bernard loves to tell, and he always ends the story with, now, you'll have to get my wife first. (laughs) Because um, you have to get the picture. When I was was a teenager, uh, my grandmother was converted from Catholicism when she was 36 and had nine children and actually started a church when she was 38 by herself. My grandfather never came into the church. So um, I was raised in a small church because she had started a church building program and basically lost a lot of the people. She had the church up to 200, 250, and back in those days, that was a large church, especially for a woman pastor. But anyway, I was raised in a very small church. And so being the granddaughter and I was very outgoing, I was like the favored child of the church, if I can put it that way. When he came along, he came to Austin when he came to the University of Texas and attended the law school there at the University of Texas. And he came to our church and joined our church while he was attending school, And which I commend that because there were larger churches here. He could have just gone and sat, but he wanted to find a church that he could actually be a help to and be a blessing to. So when he came, of course, being the lawyer that he is, um, he always had this last word, always any any conversation we had, any joking, anything like that. I was also always the one that had the last word because I was so outgoing. But when he came along, he always had the last word. Well, it just <laughs> infuriated me. And it I couldn't stand him. I didn't <laughs> want to be around him. I which was really, really funny. And he would, we worked very closely together because of it being a small church. The youth group maybe was four or five people. That's all we had. We, we were a very small, tight-knit group. And so even uh, at the very beginning, I did not, you know, of course I was, be, I was raised to be kind and polite and all of that, but I just did not like him because he was invading my territory, I guess I could say. But over the years, we worked closely together. He actually had me teach. I mean, he had, he had me type up the um, oh the Bible studies, and now my mind just totally went blank. But the um, 
he did a series of Bible studies here at the church locally that he was teaching, and so I typed all the notes up for him. Well, he was kind of sneaky. He said, let me take you out um, for doing all this work for me. I said, no, no, that's okay. Long story short, I turned him down two or three times um, before I actually said yes for him to take me out. And at, at that point, being a law student, he was working three jobs saved his McDonald's money to take me out to this very nice restaurant. And when we got there, I did not want to be there. He just really um, bamboozled me into going. And about midway through, and it really honestly was, I was so nervous because I just did not want to be there. I got sick. And he had to take me home in the middle of this um, uh, (laughs) dinner. And that was the last time we went out until I I kind of had a, uh, pivotal moment. I was transferred with my job to Odessa for six weeks, and I was gone there. And actually, watched a relationship there between a couple that he liked her, she didn't like him, and I was basically became good friends with this girl and said, "He's a great catch. He's an accountant. Why don't Why don't you want to? You know, why do you not want to date him?" And so it was a prideful thing. And I saw my relationship with Rose Bernard parallel to their relationship, and I saw how she was acting, and I saw myself in her actions. And so it kind of really got me to thinking when I came home, he came up to me and he said, I missed you. And I looked at him and I said, I missed you too. And he said it shocked him because I basically didn't want to have anything to do with him. So it's a really sweet story, and he will tell you, though, he, he um, you know, we continued to work in ministry together. But he proposed to me on um, January the 1st of a new year, and I said yes, but I said don't tell anyone. And so, and, and, and Lindsay, our daughter, just gets so tickled with that. She said, Mom, were you just not sure that you loved him enough? or were you not? I said, well, you know, I just wanted to make sure I was making the right decision. And the poor guy, I, we kept it at that point. Our parents knew. But we didn't tell anyone until March. And so he said, I'm leaving with or without you. And so you can either we announce it and say we're going to get married or I'm gone. And so we we announced our engagement. Um, he graduated at the end of May, and we were married June the 6th and gone the week after that. So, uh, And I will tell you, it has been a whirlwind, and I knew it would be. But that's when the real calling, I started feeling a deeper calling and purpose when we married and we were working ministry together. And I could see God's hand in my life along that point, coming to that point. There was a confidence that was becoming to surface. Um, and I think it came from me working in so many areas of the church that I felt confident. I wasn't sure what the future would hold. But I knew we would be, we would be working ministry full time and working together, and I think all of the situations that I did work in brought me to that point to feel like, okay, this is what you know, this is what our life is going to be. You know, you talked about your life being being in that whirlwind. What what keeps you connected? What what is it that you know keeps you focused when you're in that? that whirlwind time or even, you know, some, some of us were, we've got kids or yeah, we've got kids, we've got college, your work. And 
what keeps you connected? Um, I think probably the biggest thing is I've had to learn when to pull away. Um, and I see this, and in, you know, Brother Bernard and I this year will have been married 32 years. Um, and so I can say it'd be 32 years of full-time ministry. I can see over those years, I have seen uh, ministers and their wives in burnout stages. And uh, people call me a, a lot of times with Mother's Day just passing. It's kind of a, if you go on my Facebook, I have a picture of a bear in a river with goggles on, and there's little bears around her. People call me Mama Bear. And I think the biggest thing I tell people everywhere we travel around is be wary, weary, and be a winner of burnout. You have to pull away. Um, you have to know where your limit is. And you have to be willing to step back and reconnect. And, the, you know, the, of course, everybody knows this. And if you're in ministry, then you know this, that it never hurts for this to be reemphasized is your connection has got to be with the foundation. And that foundation has got to be your connection, your personal connection with God, reading the Word, digging into the Word. If you lose that connection, then everything else goes awry. Everything be off balance. And my big word, I think, everywhere I go, and when I'm speaking to women, to people, to ladies, to ministry, the word balance is my mantra, I guess I could say, or my word, because so many people can go overboard in, quote, working for God, that they lose the connection with God, and they also uh, lose connection with their own um, their own balance. You've got to learn in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of working, pastoring, because our job is 24-7, and you know that. Um, when you work for God, if you don't schedule time to pull away and you don't schedule balance in your life, balance with your family, it's not going to happen. Right. And I was raised in a family that, you know, we did work for God, but our evenings were free. I mean, we weren't in the ministry, so every evening we were home. And so when we wanted to do something sporadic, we would just get up and go. If we wanted to go, it's, you know, my parents tell these stories how that one, you know, one Friday afternoon, my mom would look at my dad and say, let's go to California. And we would get in the car and drive, end up in California Saturday, then Sunday visiting with family and they turn around and, you know, those are times I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that to everyone, but I guess I'm saying <laughs> sure. it's just sporadic. We did things sporadically when we, because we had time to do that. That was a huge uh, paradigm shift when we got married because um, we couldn't just at the drop of a hat go do something. It had to be scheduled. And that was very frustrating for me, number one, as a wife, and number two, just personally, but I've come to find out, because Brother Bernard is a very organized person, and I believe that God's given him the talent for being able to focus and be able to organize to the extent that he does. He's able to accomplish so many things that he does. Um, but with that, when you schedule things, that way you're blocking time and you're dedicating time. I'm very big on family. Um, your family, your children, your husband, your wife comes before your church people. 
does not come before your relationship with God. It uh, does not come before your ministry, per se, what you're doing in the ministry. But I have seen too many times the pastor and his wife or the minister and his wife neglect, or I've seen the results of working so much for God that you neglect your family. And I've seen many instances that the children are not living for God. And I have complete confidence that God will bring them back around. But, I mean, I'm, I'm on a mission to encourage families. And more and more I see it now that the, it's being done, and I hope I have a small part in that, that people are realizing that the only people you can take with you to heaven is your family. And if you spend that right. time, you schedule that time with your family, you know, you schedule a night, and if someone calls and said, you know, we're having a meeting, we need you there, you need to say, I'm sorry, but I already have something previously scheduled. I have a meeting this night. And whether you want to call um, a picnic with your family meeting, you are meeting with your family, and that is important. And, uh, you know, children can see when their dads uh, put film or continue to cancel things that are important. Now, you know, your your church attendance, you should be faithful. Nothing. My kids always knew. There was no question. Are we going to church this Sunday? That was a given. But when it came to an extracurricular thing at the church that I could or could not go to, I wasn't responsible for it. I wasn't to be accountable for it. And my child had a choir concert. Guess where I was going to be? I was going to be at that choir concert because it was important to my kids that were there. So I guess what I'm saying is the way you connect is you pull away. That, uh, I guess, the salvation of your emotional well-being, your spiritual, mental well-being, being connected and staying in this ongoing 24-7 turmoil is going to be that you know where your breaking point is and you know when you need to pull away. I don't mean for a week or two weeks. You can't stop what you're doing, but you sure should be able to pull away for an afternoon or an evening or get away for a day to reconnect with yourself and give yourself a time to rest. We put ourselves on a huge guilt trip when we do take time. I've talked to many people and say, well, I feel bad. You Do you know that Brother Bernard, from day one, when we started the church, um, you know, and you're working full-time ministry, and I understand if you're working under a pastor, you follow that pastor's schedule, whatever they schedule. But we started, Monday was our day off. Monday was his day off. Because Sunday is not a day off for us, and really neither is Saturday. Um, there is no days off unless they're taking, unless you are intentional. And that's another big thing that I've been speaking. I spoke with two uh, ladies' conferences back-to-back in April. Both of them, my big thought process was intentional living and intentional loving. If you do not have the intention and you said it, we can't haphazardly live anymore. We have to schedule things, and we have to be intentional with what we're doing because our time is short. Living for God, He's coming quickly. Our, you know, our 24 hours feel like 12 hours now instead of 24 because we work so hard and so fast, but we get on such a guilt trip many times. God does not, God does not expect us to work 24-7, 365 days a year. You know, he was a big proponent of pulling away and resting. He did it himself. And so for us to not take time with our family 
we're giving our family and ourselves a great disservice because um, those families and young children, they don't need a huge, grandiose trip plan. They need a trip um, out to a park. They need a trip to go to a lake and play in the water. They need a trip to the ice cream shop. Little things with them go so far. And, it, you know, you may not can take a day off, but you, you sure can take a couple of hours and go do something with them. It's the little and the sporadic things like that that you do have to plan that mean the most to them and to your family. And you're basically saying, you are important to me. And I think when you do that, they will be more open to be willing to work for God themselves when they see that you can create a balance between family and ministry. And I know, I know some of this is going gonna, is gonna to be very hard for a lot of the younger crowd that we've got our cell phones, we've got our computers, our iPads, we've got all this information that's constantly coming at us. And sometimes we just have to shut that off and say, you know what, we're going to eat dinner without the phone, without texting, without, we're just going to sit down and we're going to spend some time with our family. Well, and the key there, I do think, for the topic is control. You are in control of those technical devices. They cannot control you. And many times we it's ministry. It's, you know, it's, that is my ministry. Well, that's good and fine, but you are still in control of those technical devices. And the big thing I start in the holidays, I create a really pretty shoebox. I go around, everything puts their cell phones in it. I shut it up, and it goes into a closet. And we have family time. And, you know, that's one thing that Brother Bernard and I did with our family being young. Of course, they're all out of the house now. But when it came to dinner time that we actually sat down together as a family and ate, we did not answer the phone. I put our answering machine on silent. And at that time, you know, we didn't bring cell phones to the table. And to me, that's a rule. Cell phones still are not allowed at the table because that's family time. And that's hard to do, and it's hard to change habits, but those are habits that need to be changed. Now, you've talked a little bit about servanthood and and just working for God. Talk to that young person right now that, that is feeling that that pull, that purpose. What's something that, that they can do right now? What are the most important things right now? Take initiative. Wherever you are, put yourself to work. Go to your pastor, to your youth leader, and say, what can I do for you? What can, how can I be involved? Um, you know, and, and if you feel a calling into a certain area of ministry, get involved in that ministry on the lowest level. If it's, if it's you feel a ministry for children, then be, a, be an assistant when it comes to children's church. Help, help corral the kids. Do the little things and build yourself into a ministry. I feel like, again, I'm a big proponent that God will open the doors. And there may be a lot there. They're not sure what avenue of ministry that they want to go into, but they do feel God tugging at their heart, even at whatever age, whether it's, you know, and some of them may already know the focus of their ministry, get involved in that ministry. But to me, again, it's initiative. Take initiative. Do not sit and wait for someone to come and ask you to do something. And the more you put yourself to work for God, the more doors will open. Those that have open doors in ministry, if you look at their lives, you will find that they have had their hand working for God. They've taken initiative. 
They've gone out of their way to find things for their hands to do. And Brother Bernard has always, you know, he, he was speaking to young people when he was still in college himself um, on the will of God. He did articles on the will of God. How do I find the will of God for my life? And a big proponent, a big thing of what he said was, keep doing what you're doing right now. If you're not sure what direction to go, you keep working for God. You keep taking initiative. Work for God where you are right now, and God will open those doors. So I guess what I would say to get connected where you are, find things to do. If you're sitting idle, something is wrong. If you feel a calling or a ministry and you're not doing something on a regular basis, that's the first indicator that I need to be doing something. Is uh, something I need to do something. I need to move forward, and that is to take initiative. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us today and, and talking with us. Can you pray for that young person right now that, that is seeking God and, and they have a desire to do more? They want to they want to be involved. And right now they're just kind of in that waiting stage, but could you just pray for them right now? Sure, I'll do it. God, I thank you today, Lord, for the, the army of workers, the army of ministers that you are raising up because I do believe that we are strong. And I pray that you would help each and every one of them. Give them confidence, God. Help them to seek your faith. Help them to dig into your word. Lord, there are many things that need to be um, decided in these lives, but I pray that you would help them with that process. Help them to to get a burden for people. Help them to love people. Help them to love to work for you. If they are not sure on their calling or where their area of ministry would be, I pray that you would plant into their hearts and their minds burdens and seeds, God, of, of a burden. Help to help them to develop that. Help them to gain a greater faith and a greater confidence, God, that they can do a work for you. In today's society, so many times it's a it's a me generation, but there's such insecurities depending on where they have come from in their family background, but I pray that you would give them a confidence, God. Help them to work through the areas in their life, God, that you need to purge, for we do need to repent, God. We need to repent every day. I pray that you would help all of them have a heart of tenderness and a pliable heart and a heart of humility, God, to seek your faith and to be sensitive to your spirit because it's through your spirit that there's a leading and there's a guiding. I pray, God, that they would have initiative, God, that they would have the confidence to step out and to do bold things for you, God. I pray, again, for some reason, I keep going back to confidence. Give them confidence in you, God, confidence in your spirit, confidence in their leading, God, and help them to step out. I pray, God, in these generations coming this younger generation, they're going to do greater and bigger things. And my goal is that they far out, outdo all of us that have been in the ministry for years. I pray that you would give them that boldness to step out and to do great things for you. And I know they are doing those things, and they will continue to do those things by your will, God, and by your spirit. And we give you all the thanks, and all the glory belongs to you, God. It's through your spirit and the strength that we get through you that we can do all of the things that we do for you. And we thank you, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Is there any way that somebody could get in touch with you, maybe if they had a question about ministry or had a question for you, how would they get in contact with you? 
Sure, they can. Um, they can reach me through my email. I have a personal email that goes through headquarters, but I look at all my email, and it's cs bernard at sbcglobal dot net. C Bernard at upci dot org. Also, um, Facebook. I watch my face. I do a lot of uh, messaging on Facebook. They can contact me either way. I also would like to say. Uh, right here, we are working on a program for women called In Touch. They can go on Facebook and look at that. It's called In Touch, a program for women. I'm also able to be contacted through that channel. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Sister Bernard. And, and if um, in the future, if there's any pointers you can also give me on, on how to impersonate your husband better, I would appreciate that too. But we'll, <laughs> we'll save that for another day. I'll do it. I will do it, believe me. Okay. Hey, thanks again, and and you have a great day. Thank you. You do the same. Thank you for having me. Okay. God bless.